Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm your host, Brian O'Connor. I'll be taking over from Noah Newman, who's still with us, still doing a great job, just moved on to other podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Source from Sound Agriculture. I'll be talking with Jesse Horn near Owensboro, Kentucky. Jesse is a no-tiller and cover crop enthusiast who decided to do something a little different with his harvesting equipment this year. So let's get into it. My name is Jesse Horn. I'm from Philpott, Kentucky, right outside Owensboro. And uh, I farm alongside my dad and my grandfather, 39 years old, and uh, I went to college, left the farm for a while, and uh, been back uh, about, about 15 years now, I think. We've taken our farm to almost 100% no-till, big users of waterways and, and have been using cover crops um, as we were able. We deal with a lot, of, a lot of rainfall in Kentucky here, and sometimes that makes managing cover crops challenging. But uh, big fans of no-till, uh, you know, for, for some of the obvious reasons of uh, less labor, less fuel, less hours on the machine, but you know, ultimately, we are conservation-minded farmers, and uh, we're looking to improve uh, the health and value of our soil. And no-till is a very, very important step in doing that. So I appreciate you uh, reaching out. I'm a fan of the magazine and uh, uh, have always wanted to attend no-till conference, never have been able to, but uh, really admire the, uh, the promotion of this practice and and uh am, am a widespread adopter so appreciate you reaching out and uh uh look forward to this conversation um what's your rotation like on on your what do you grow well 100 corn soybean rotation uh we're a little bit too wet to grow wheat for uh for harvest uh uh we we seem to just be able to grow about 75 or 80 bushel wheat and it's hard to make the economics work on that when we can grow uh, 70 and 80 bushel soybeans uh so we're 100 percent corn soybean rotation uh rotate every single year okay so you mentioned cover crops what do you typically use for cover crops so up until the last couple of years i would say about four years ago we started experimenting a little bit but um, we primarily have been heavy users of, of wheat, just being run cover crop wheat. We'd go in and sow uh, ditch banks and areas where a lot of water would run through the field. Uh, we have a lot of six to 12 percent slope ground and, um, you know, just trying to stop erosion. And in the last uh, three to four years, we've experimented with some oats, with some canola, uh, Austrian winter peas. But one of the biggest challenges we've had, and I think most farmers face, is, you know, when it's harvest time, the priority is getting the crop harvested. we got to keep the combines rolling. That means that our cover crop is not getting sold until there's a break. So whether we have a rain event or maybe the combines broke down for a period of time or we finish harvest. And that's been very limiting on the species that we can use. And even in Kentucky, where I'm at, we've had some falls that by the time we got done with harvest, it was cool enough. Is it worth disturbing the ground to plant cover crop when it may not come up until February? And so that's been a, a big challenge of ours and uh, one we've been trying to solve for several years up until this point. 
Now you're, you're trying something different this year, as I understand it from, from your past practices. What are you trying that's new this year related to so, cover crops? We've got a, a smaller farmer in my area that stuck a, a air seeder on his combine and I visited with him for two years. And I got a lot of great advice from these guys, Mark and Matthew Turner in uh, Ohio County, just south of me. We're really the first to adopt this in the area. But uh, they, they, like I said, they put an air seeder on their combine and uh, visited with some guys at Farm Machinery Show. There are lots of different products out there, but I picked up a dealership for APV America. It's an Austrian company that builds a really high quality air seeder um, that is monitor controlled. Uh, calibration uh, is very easy. And both of those things were really important to me because as we get into some of these different species, seed costs are, are quite a bit more expensive than uh, being around cover crop wheat. So, you know, did a lot of research, selected APV America, like I said, picked up a dealership for them. My company, uh, Big H Ag Supply, sells those now. Um, and we really wanted to pilot this program like I said, my dad and I farm about 3,000 acres, and I've got a customer who also farms about the same. I run Case IH equipment. He runs John Deere equipment. So we've got these cedars on the two most popular brands of combine, and we are we stuck th two 300-liter uh, cedars, which translates into about eight-and-a-half to nine bushels. So we got two eight-and-a-half to nine bushel cedars on the combine, and we're blowing this seed on as we harvest. Got hoses and deflector plates mounted on the heads uh, every 30 inches. And uh, we're getting a really good pattern. I've already got uh, some of this uh, cover crop emerged and uh, off to a really good start here. So this allows us to run some different species. As I mentioned, I'm running uh, two pounds of uh, canola with two pounds of turnip and two pounds of radish. I can cover a lot of acres there, six pounds uh, to the acre. You know, I'm getting like 150 or 60 acres out of a fill up on each machine. Now we just made the switch over to cereal rye. We've got uh, cool weather is upon us and we're dry. We're really dry. And I know if my rye needs to lay there a while, it'll still take off and grow whenever uh, we get a little moisture. Uh, so we made that switch last week and we're only covering about 27, 28 acres out of a fill up now, but that's still pretty manageable. Uh, we're hitting it with our seed tender five minutes. I timed it the other day, five minutes from the time I, I pull the combine up to the seed tender, get out of the combine, fill them up and back in and running, uh, right there at five minutes. So, you know, I, I think, uh, as I mentioned, the, the biggest challenge with uh, cover crops in the fall is keeping the combines rolling. And so far, we've been very successful with that. Okay. What led you to, you said you mentioned this was kind of a process of osmosis. You learned from other guys. Have you done any other research or seen any of the other uh, results? And you had mentioned in our brief discussion before that you're, you're learning things from this process. What have you learned? Well, you know, I like to be on the cutting edge, but not the bleeding edge. So it's always interesting to let somebody else uh, uh, jump into uh, unknown waters first. But uh, got some great advice from these guys uh, that I mentioned earlier, Mark and Matthew Turner here in my area. But I also sell seed for Bex Hybrids. And Bex has done some great research on cover crops. Uh, of course, read the uh, No-Till magazine. 
And uh, this is cover crops are not new, right? There are guys who have been doing this for a long time um, and have been able through the use of legumes to completely move away from commercial fertilizer. There's a lot of really neat things with cover crop. We just got to figure out how to scale it because it's not just getting it sold. We got to manage it in the spring too, right? You know, if we're going to continue farming, we got to plant next year's crop and 3000 acres of cover crop. Um, we're going to find out how easy that is to manage. You know, I think my, my canola, and my turnips and radishes, that's not going to be an issue. But having, uh, looks like I'm going to have roughly 2,000 acres of cereal rye. And we're just sowing that at 35 pounds to the acre. I'm hoping for a 50 to 60% emergence. But I don't think we're going to be too thick any way we go. I'm really hoping to plant into a lot of this green. I did a little bit of this last year. Uh, we just scattered it uh, with some fertilizer behind the combine and pulled a little uh, Phillips rotary harrow, kind of turned it under the residue. I planted into that green this spring. There were virtually no other weeds present, uh, just, just my cereal rye. So I let my corn emerge to about V2, and we went in with a shot of Roundup and a full rate of Acuron. Had a great, great stand of corn, one of the best stands I had anywhere uh, in a very, very clean field. As that... Uh, uh, rye broke down, basically formed a, 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 a carpet on the ground that helped keep my weeds at bay until my corn could canopy. And so I'm going to do more of that. I think that's really exciting. I've got uh, air operated row cleaners that I can put some pressure on and slice through uh, this rye. And I, I think that is going to be how I plant a whole lot of my corn. Um, for the 2023 crop. Okay, um, so it's a corn year coming up. Are you rotating back to soybeans the year after, and and do you plan to keep this up for soybeans as well? I do. Yeah. So we're we're cover cropping every acre, and I'm roughly half and half, about 1,500 acres of corn and 1,500 acres of beans. And uh, you know, we have not uh, been specific with the species in front of each crop. I think that's probably a, the, the next level in the management of this thing. Um, for this year, we've just, you know, whatever's in the cedar, if we're running beans that day, that's what's getting put down. If we're running corn that day, it's what's getting put down. And um, as we learn and grow in this thing, we may tailor our, our mix uh, to next year's crop. But it's a process, right? You know, we're now dragging a pickup and seed tender to the field during harvest that we weren't pulling around before. And I think it's important for anybody adopting a new practice to, to figure out how to make it work and then fine tune it later. And uh, that's, that's the next level of fine tuning for me is figuring out what species we want to put in front of which crop. Now, you mentioned you, you deal for backs, and you had said previously that um, you started out in seeds, but you sell a whole bunch of other stuff now, too. Can you explain a little bit about that process? Yeah. So we started out selling seed, and Bex has this really uh, kind of famous, uh, even the guys that don't like Bex, like our PFR program. And, uh, you know, I, I continue to have customers coming to me. My customers are my friends. And when you become uh, a friend and a trusted advisor of a guy, you talk about a lot more than just the seed you're selling them. And so we continued to have customers coming to us looking for equipment advice, 
And so we started selling things that were PFR proven, closing wheels and, and that kind of thing. And this has turned into a whole different side of our business. We're now a precision planning dealer, um, just going into our second year, and that's going extremely well. Continue to sell closing wheels, but all kinds of planner upgrades. You know, we look for things that are either better than OEM, you know, or a totally new innovative idea, or the same as OEM, but at a better price. We're selling a lot of GBGI products, which are uh, better blades, better parallel arms, better gauge wheel arms for planners. Uh, we do a lot of stuff through uh, Martin Till, uh, mainly row cleaners, but they've got some great closing wheels too. Copperhead acquired uh, RK products. They've got a fantastic uh, closing wheel tail repair kit. You know, and, and what we try to instill in our customers is we cannot get to a strong finish. We can't grow a great crop if we don't have a great start. And the only way to have a great start is have a good planter. And that doesn't mean it has to be a news planter. It's just got to be a well-maintained, well-equipped planter. And so one of the most affordable ways we can do that, this is kind of our little catchphrase, we make your planter better. <laughs> we can take any planter you have, rebuild it, retool it, even if that means stripping it down to the toolbar and hanging new units on it. Uh, pretty much any way you spin it, we can take the planner you have and make it as good as a brand new one, usually for about half the money. Uh, so we're doing electric drives, hydraulic downforce, uh, furrow force from precision planning, you know, very innovative uh, two-stage closing system, and got data to support all of this. We're a very agronomy-driven uh, sales company, and I believe in being a solutions provider. And, and not just a salesman. I want your business for the next 50 years, even if that means I don't make a sale today. And sometimes we have to tell customers, in my opinion, that's not the right move for you to make. You know, so I try to put everything into my business the way I experience it as a farmer. And I think that's what's contributed to our success. We have people's trust. They know we have their best interest at hearts and we'll tell them if, uh, if their idea is, is uh, in our opinion, the right thing to do or not. We'll get back to my discussion with Jesse Horn from Owensburg, Kentucky in a minute. First, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nitrogen and phosphorus already in your fields. This foliar application has a low use rate and you can mix it right into your tank, giving it a free ride onto the field. Check out Source, it's like caffeine. For microbes. Learn more at www.sound.ag. Now back to my discussion with Jesse Horn. Some implements are kind of no-till specific. Do you focus on no-till in the business? Do you guys work with everybody? How does that work? We work with everybody, but you know, we we've kind of, as I said, we're a real agronomy-driven uh, company, and uh, we've seen the benefits of no-till or reduced tillage. Uh, you know, we've, we've had several customers be able to eliminate a tillage pass by putting air operated row cleaners on, you know, Martin's ACCR is a favorite of mine. Precision planning's reveal is another good one. You know, we can be aggressive with a row cleaner, uh, and basically almost strip till in front of the planter that way and, and keep a turbo till or an ultra till or something like that out of the field. And if we're not doing full-width tillage, that's a win in my book. 
you know, everybody just wants to get their crop established. That's the only reason most guys pull a tillage tool. They're looking for strong emergence. And they feel like the only way they can get that is to pull a tillage tool across the field. Uh, you know, better, better heat penetration, all that stuff. And if we can help them achieve that with, without pulling a tillage tool, there's the savings of fuel, labor, hours on the tractor, maintenance on the tillage tool. Not to mention some of these tillage tools are, you know, in excess of $100,000. And that's all... Uh, equity that they can put back into their planner, making their planner better. Yeah, we we always hear no tillers love to talk about their planner rigs, and and you know certainly the planner is like the the number one, certainly the one of the more important aspects of no till generally, if not the most important aspect of no till generally. So this new setup that you're trying with the planner behind the uh, with the air seeder behind the the harvester. What do you imagine the impacts on compaction are be? It, it sounds to me like from what you described, it's going to be kind of a loss because you have the tender and the pickup truck out there that you wouldn't have before. But do you expect uh, less compaction as a result of this? Well, I think so. I mean, we've already got uh, the combine and the grain cart running across the field. You know, uh, as I mentioned, it's pretty dry right now. So I, I would I would venture to say we're not creating any compaction right now. But you know, even in a wet year, we're blowing this seed in right behind the head. So the shaft coming out of the combine is mulching over top of it. As soon as there is enough moisture to germinate that seed, it takes off. Those roots begin to penetrate, you know, helping to alleviate compaction from previous passes. It's just uh, a win all around on that front. You know, we're already making a pass. So on the, on the compaction front, we're already making that pass across the field. Yeah, Anytime and it, we can eliminate a pass, we're helping to eliminate uh, compaction. It sounds also like um, you're taking steps within the crops themselves, like radish and that kind of thing, to kind of fight that if, in, in the event that it might, it might occur. Is that right? Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. You know, uh, in my small seed mix, the canola's got great deep roots. Radish is helping break up compaction and turnip uh, at the top level of the soil. Uh, as well as scavenging for nutrients, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And including those two, uh, in the mix is we, we had a, uh, a, a drought here in Kentucky, uh, went about five weeks without any rain. And a lot of my corn is sub 200 bushel and we're used to a significantly better crop than that. So I've got a lot of nutrients still laying out there and I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, my turnips and radishes can gather a lot of that up and put it back into the next crop for me. All right. So um, I have a standard question that I ask. It's the, the Ira Flato question from Science Friday. He normally asks researchers uh, to this effect. If I gave you a blank check, what would you, what would you research? So I, ask, I like to ask farmers the same question. Um, if I gave you a blank check for the next season, what would you try? What are you interested in? What comes next? You know, for me, the most important thing uh, in farming is to to get a good start. There's a, I forget his name, but there's a agronomy professor from Purdue University that uh, likes to say everybody has 300 bushel corn till you open the bag. And uh, I'm really interested in pursuing innovations and in planting. There's a, a a new product coming that orients the seed. We uh, we know that if we can place all the seeds tip down 
we get about a 25 GDU improvement in emergence, quicker emergence. And so that's, that's where I would spend my money is, uh, you know, investing in and researching and, and possibly helping develop tools to get our crop planted earlier, get it emerged faster. You know, we continue to have uh, changes in our weather pattern, whether it's uh, too hot and dry a summer or too cool and wet a summer, but we generally have pretty decent springs. So the earlier, the faster, the better we can get our crop planted, I think is going to continue to yield uh, success for farmers. And uh, we've seen this in soybeans. We had a huge shift in our area. You know, we've got guys planting soybeans uh, last week of March, first week of April, uh, continuing to push that envelope and try to move earlier because we see the yield enhancement from that. You know, uh, in the last five years, many of my customers have bought additional planters just to be able to run out early and plant soybeans, uh, where traditionally we would plant all our corn first, and maybe we weren't getting started planting soybeans till the middle or end of May. Now we hope to have all our beans planted by the middle of April and then start planting corn. And uh, that's been a major operations change here that's been yield driven. And I think we're going to continue to see uh, people trying to plant earlier and earlier. And so anything we can do to improve emergence, it's going to help with that. And to me, that's some of the best money spent right now is, is on planting equipment uh, and planting technology to get our seeds up in a more uniform, quick uh, timeline and get us off to the races. Um, you mentioned weeds. Are there any particular um, weed species that you're concerned about? And what are they? Well, we, we have uh, quite a bit of, of water hemp in our area. And I know that's uh, something uh, most states are now dealing with. But uh, it's it's our number one uh, issue here. And cover crops uh, in, in general, no matter the species, tend to help with water hemp. You know, the, the better the, the residue mat, as long as we have a good stand, you know, our, our best herbicide is canopy. There's no way around that. You know, if we keep sunlight from hitting the ground, that's that's the best herbicide we can have. So between the crop canopy of an earlier planted, better established crop and the residue of a cover crop on the ground, uh, we stand a chance at, at fighting these things. So what were the challenges that you faced and i'm going to switch back to your business for a second um sure what were the challenges you faced making that transition from kind of seed dealership more to the equipment side is this additional personnel you have to hire how do you identify challenges and how do you address them? well you know what drove us to get into this business is is our customers were asking us to be in this business and so we already had the demand so we had to figure out what brands we wanted to take on and i i really try to use the products I sell on my own farm, you know, just like these uh, APV seeders. We didn't just go out and try to sell a whole bunch of these right off the bat. I put them on my combine. I put them on a customer's combine. We're seeing how it goes and, and we're learning some things along the way here. But, uh, you know, figuring out what products are right is a, is a trial by fire kind of thing. And we've had some products that we took on that I used on my own farm. And I thought, man, this is, uh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And this is not a product I want to promote. And uh, I think that's really important. And I think our customers see a lot of value in that. You know, we're not just out to make a dollar. We're trying to provide 
profitable solutions to our customers. And uh, that means that in almost every case, we've tried it on our own farm first and figured out if it's going to work or, or it's not going to work or uh, if it's going to work but needs these modifications. And, and we know ahead of time what challenges we're going to face. Um, what kind of spacing do you work with on your corn and soybeans? Have you tried anything? Uh, pretty much all 30-inch corn in this area and 15-inch soybeans, but we're starting to see some guys as we move these planters earlier in the calendar year go to 30-inch beans. They'll take their corn planter and run, you know, a, a third planter uh, mm -hmm. in the bean field, and that's been working pretty well as long as we get them planted early. There's been a little bit of narrow corn work in this area, but uh, the equipment cost, you know, the, the corn was never worse. It just wasn't that much better. And the equipment cost drove a lot of guys back out of that. But I think we're starting to see some shift back into that. Uh, there's also some intercropping taking place in Kentucky. And that's very exciting. Uh, I'm in the total acre group. And uh, we've got a, a member in my camp that has uh, uh, been very successful with intercropping uh, cash farms out of Mayfield, Kentucky. And so that's really interesting. And. I think we're going to continue to see the interest in that grow. Uh, but I think there is something to narrow corn. We just got to figure out how to manage it. And that's one of the biggest challenges we have in Kentucky is we generally have pretty small fields. But my average field size is a little less than 20 acres. And uh, with narrow corn, it's hard. You know, you'd like to be able to run your sprayer across the rows and and uh, run over less crop that way. And we don't have the, the space to be able to do that. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have with narrow corn is trying to figure out how to make it work in our space here. All right. Well, that's all the questions I can think of. Is there anything else you want to add that we didn't touch on or any observations to make uh, before we close it out here? Well, I just want to say I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing to promote no-till and conservancy and you know, I think one of the biggest challenges we have as farmers in the U.S. is is uh, battling the public opinion of us. It's shifted uh, greatly over time. And, you know, I, I want people to know, and I try to do my part in sharing this story, that, uh, you know, we, we want to be stewards of the land. We want to be conservationists. But at the end of the day, we also have to be able to afford to farm. And... Uh, somewhere uh in between there's uh, where most of us land and uh i really appreciate the work you are doing to promote uh the farming lifestyle and conservation measures and no-till and you know that's that's where the success of the american farmer lies all right well thanks for talking with me it's, i always love to talk to to guys that are trying new stuff or you know kind of on the edge of edge of things um you know that are kind of pushing stuff so uh thanks very much for your time and and have yeah. a good day thank you so much appreciate the call that was me and jesse horn of owensboro talking about his decision to use an air seeder on the back of his harvester this year and also kind of his transition from seed vendor into equipment vendor thanks again to sound for keeping the lights on you can hear more podcasts like this at CoverCropStrategies.com. Under the Resources tab, we have access to all our past podcasts. You can also email me at boco 
L-E-S-S-E-T-E-R-N-N-O-R at lessitermedia.com. It's Lesseter, L-E-S-S-I-T-E-R. You can also call me. My phone number is 262-777-2413. That's it for today. Thanks very much and farm ugly.